Hello again and welcome to Rasslin Memories. I'm Glenn Broggett and boy we have another great and interesting edition of Rasslin Memories to uh, pass along to you today. It's our second part, part two of a recent interview I was able to have conducted with the Wild Thing, Steve Ray, former pro wrestling personality from the Central States, UWF and other areas in between. In this uh, part of the interview, we're going to discuss some of the people he worked with uh, in the Central States uh, Wrestling Territory down in Kansas. Also, how he uh, got associated with Herb Abrams in the Universal Wrestling Federation. And he'll also tell some tales of working alongside Herb during the UWF's run in the 1990s. Almost forgot, we'll have an international wrestling story or two to share as well. Without any further ado, let's get into part two of my recent interview with the Wild Thing, Steve Ray, on this edition of Wrestling Memories. You know, I want to talk a little about some of the guys that, that you probably gleaned a little bit of uh, wisdom and knowledge off of, uh, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Bob Geigel and Bob Brown. Two very fascinating characters. Bob Geigel had one incredible uh, resume. You've got to respect the man for his resume. He was another one of those people that just at the right place at the right time. He surrounded himself with the right people at that time, and he was able to get himself in the position along with Harley Race, and they, you know, kind of took over that that territory as a communicator or as a kind of like a leader type thing. I could talk to Bob, and Bob had his glasses on, and after I so passionately shared my idea with him. <laughs> He'd go, Steve, don't know. Gotta go. I swear to you, those were his two words. Don't know, gotta go. And that's what he basically, that was my relationship with uh, with uh, Bob Geigo. Now, Bob Brown, Bulldog Bob Brown, you know, he loved heat. He loved, he thrived off of it. And Bob had a fascinating relationship with his son. It meant his son and his relationship with him was his world. That was his world. Unfortunately, it wasn't his son's world. And his son was his coffee boy, did everything, you know, catered to his father. But, you know, as he reached maturity, he wants to break away. And, you know, it turns out to be a, you know, a bad, bad deal. I I got to do a lot of road trips with Bob. And, and (laughs) when, when Bob drives, literally a bear could be running out in front of the car. And he will not even flinch, not even recognize that it was there until it's actually a moose or an elk. (laughs) Then he might do something. But I'm not kidding you. We ran over so many freaking animals and not one ounce of like hesitation or anything. And it was just so funny. Bob had a dynamic that there's no point in me trying to change it or fight it or anything. I wanted to absorb it. I wanted to. I wanted to know how he thought and why he thought a certain way. And man, Bob got to enjoy all of the aspects of, you know, back when the, there were territories and there was a meaning to the belt and, you know, wrestling meant something, you know, it, there was a real story that, you know, the, the heavyweight champion of, of the city was going to fight the world's heavyweight champion just so happens to be Ric Flair or whoever it was at that time. The, the respect to the traveling champion of, of what was the NWA. Yeah. Yeah, there was, you know, there was, there was a real storyline there. You know, I, I've always thought it was the biggest mistake ever to uh, uh, announce that uh, wrestling is sports entertainment because it's still, you know, it still puts all this question and uh, doubt and, you know, it's 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 not sincere because it, you know unless you literally you know lay out the playbook for them to read the whole script from start to finish no one's going to take what you're saying as uh, you know being sincere so i i just thought that was a totally unthought uh event that was used uh, as a distraction during the time that vince was being dealt with by the FBI and his and investigation. Now we want to go from like uh, central states here. You were you were working. You you were cutting your teeth working with with talent like you know Rick Patterson and David Peterson. Uh, I mean these Rick guys Patterson these guys were awesome, head, man. Buddy. So let's talk oh, about before, yeah. before we leave central states. Go to the UWF. I want to talk about guys like Rick Patterson and Dave Peterson uh-huh. and some of the guys that were in uh-huh. the mainstays. Even like but first uh-huh. Rick Patterson. Um, you know all of those. 
Oh, what? man, you are. You're it. I'm so happy that you know that. Let's go to Dave Peterson. Dave Peterson and I, uh, when he, when I met him, I mean, it was, you know, during the, the break of my, uh, my, my inter- introduction into the business, but he was crossing over from AWA, back, you know, back and forth. And I always admired Dave because he just had that, you know, Conan looking physique and he ate sneaker bars and popcorn and everything you can imagine. He was always lean. Dave was always a happy guy. You know, he was never, uh, he just, you know, he liked to laugh and he was never a hateful person. He's one of the few guys that, uh, you know, took the time to explain certain things to me. You know, I didn't really get the, the kind of training that I should have gotten before I broke into the business. Um, you know, three months is not enough. There's certain mannerisms, there's certain, just certain formalities that you, you've got to follow in the locker room. And, you know, unless someone tells you, you could end up getting yourself stuck in a bad position. It really killed me when I got the news that Dave had uh, got into a wreck. And I'll tell you what, where the story really gets creepy. <clears throat> Dave and I, was, we had just finished uh, an event at Memorial Hall. Ironically enough, we were both in a, you know, in a huge shower room. <laughs> we're cleaning up and getting ready to get out. And some, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Bulldog Bob Brown's son came down into the locker room. And there was this very well-known fan who um, would come to all the matches. She, um, she was a quadriplegic, if I'm saying that correctly, <clears throat> where she couldn't use her hands or um, she had to blow through a straw. Mm-hmm. And she she asked for my autograph, you know, every time and several times in a, in in one event, and I couldn't uh, I could never say no or anything like that. So, I, you know, those kind of people grow on you. Hearing a, a car hitter, you know, as I'm in the, as I'm getting ready, I'm going, damn, Dave, I just can't imagine being in that wheelchair, a car hitting me. I'm going flying through the air. You know, and I'm getting ready to take my big leap of faith into uh, no man's land, better known as death. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what kind of life I was given. And and I, then I, I looked over to David and I said, how do you want to go out? And he said, I want to be riding my Harley on that go head on with a semi and splat like a bug. <laughs> and yeah, I'm oh. not kidding. You. Oh man! I, I sw- and the the sad part of this story was Dave was driving his dad's. He had a Harley, but he was driving his Honda when oh, he got no. into this wreck. No. Yeah, and and he was only going 15 miles an hour. What happened was is he, you know, the semis when they do those wide turns, they turn out mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, unexpected. Yeah. yeah so he did one of those numbers and and dave didn't see it coming and he slid underneath and his jawbone cut right into his jugular and it was not a good it should not have been a, an open casket but you know that that was dave was my buddy he, he was my mom my mom had a, a little crush on him thought he was you know just a sweet you know sweet kid you know she she decided he was awesome because he had that you know that spirit about him while in the central states you also had a chance to work alongside a very young masahiro chono a man who went on to become a legend in japan as far as the pro wrestling business goes tell us uh what you can remember of working with masa chono you know here you go it's a cultural dynamic Unless you understand that culture and accept it and appreciate it and respect it, you're not going to get anywhere with the Japanese. Uh, uh, and boy, did I have a bad experience. Uh, um, one of my matches was, um, and we, we had several. Um, I ended up doing a leg drop, but I dropped, um, I, I, I jumped up too, uh, too late where my ass ended up dropping right on his face. No. And he, he bit right through his lip. Uh, he couldn't speak a lick of English. And he, he was a very quiet, humble, you know, nice kid uh, type, you know, just wasn't cocky one bit. Man, he was so pissed. 
And I thought for sure, he was just, you know, and you just like, you know, going at me, you know, you know, I'm saying, I'm sorry. You're right. I apologize. And luckily it didn't escalate into to, to anything else. But God, that was an embarrassing moment for myself. It was fascinating to see it in his career and the way, you know, he turned out to be quite the little um, wrestling god in, of Japan that mm-hmm. had a good run. So, you know, another great uh, uh, experience, you know, being associated and getting the, to, to experience that with him. There's never, ever a, a story well told when it comes to the little people, the midgets, or whatever you want to call them. That whole dichotomy and how Lord Littlebrook has his little village out there in St. Joe and that whole little uh, industry that he runs um, should be the number one reality show on TV right now. Well, yeah, plug in the whole community element that he had going on there on top of just you know, traveling around and working the various levels of wrestling halls and shows. Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, to, uh, you know, each one of those people's different, um, you know, experiences as a entertainer with them and then and just as a person and possibly as a son or as a father or whatever that, uh, you know, they've contributed to their little village there. But fascinating, fascinating um, story. They don't let you in uh, on too many things. You know, they'll talk to you and there's a cutoff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. From what I did get from them, um, you know, great guys to, to, to tour with and very, very respectful. They're not, they're not ones to play you know, the rib, the, you know, the, the, you know, I guess regular people, regular talent or whatever. They, and I never really saw them rib each other either. Uh, who else did we, did you, did we, oh, Rick Patterson. Rick Patterson. Yeah. I want Cowboy to talk about him. You had a connection uh, with him. Yes. So Cowboy Rick and I, if you have a way of getting a hold of him, I have not been able to speak to him and in, in, in several years. And I, his best friend, who him and I both know, is a liaison. His name's Marty Goldstein, <clears throat> up in um, Winnipeg. Um, there's something going on. For some reason, he's not uh, he's not talking to, to to Rick, and he can't seem to get me a number to Rick. But Rick, we we had so many great uh, uh, road trips together. Where this is. Him and I <laughs> were driving, and he told me to take the wheel, right, while he looked at the map. So as he's looking, he goes, okay, we go here, and we go there, and we go, go there. And um, I, I look down, and I go, uh, so we go here, and we go there. And, and, and he goes, hey, uh, aren't you supposed to be driving? And at that time, we fly off the highway. And we go in between two road signs. And we went like right underneath it. And he was driving a Camaro at the time. Flew into a ditch. Spin it at a 360. And um, luckily we did not get stuck. um, Because we're in the middle of nowhere. And and he goes, I'd kill you. (laughs) But he, you know, he he took... uh, he took kindly to, you know, some of my uh, uh, boyish ways, I guess, or whatever you want to want to say. But, man, that was, you know, thank God nothing happened to us, and it turned out to be a good story. But Rick ended up getting me booked on my very first tour to South Africa. Boy, you want to talk about an eye-opener to a whole different um type of uh you know atmosphere i first of all i'll go there and i'm 18 or 19 at the time and sonny cohen is the promoter which is the simpsons dad and you know the steve simpson and sean yeah 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 so they book me um and um i'm getting a great push but the very first thing sammy said to me when we're in the locker room he said stevie boy i want you to take these handcuffs and when, when Tiger Singh gets out uh, on his match, I want you to go 
interrupt his match and hit him the hard way and cuff him to the ropes and proceed to to beat him until you break him open. And I say, are you serious? And he goes, yes, I'm serious. So much serious that do it. you'll be on a plane tonight. And I said, wow, <laughs> great, great. And it's kind of like the same experience that I had when I, you know, stay at Kansas City because I'm getting to know everybody and all that. He forgot to tell me that it was a joke. And see, uh, the fans over there are all Muslim. And I had no idea how much Muslims hated, you know, Americans at that time. So um, I go, you know, busting in through the crowd with my American flag draped around my shoulders and uh, automatically getting the booze and stuff like that. And, and I, I do exactly what he told me. I handcuffed him to the rope and, you know, I start you know, proceeding to beat him the hard way. And at that moment, the security left the freaking building. And then I knew there was something wrong. And, and then the chair started flying in and I'm not talking just like Jerry Lawler event. I'm talking like something you've never even seen. And they want, uh, they want blood, you know, they want, they want to kill me. <clears throat> and I'm, uh, I'm going, Holy sh-. and he said, get next to me. That's the tiger says, say they won't throw it at you if you're right next to me. And, um, so I, I thanks buddy. I just beat your ass <laughs> in my life. You know, I'm, I'm looking over towards the locker room. And I'm not kidding you, there's this 45-year-old guy named Spider, and I can't remember his last name. He's all tatted up guy, about 6'3", wiry-looking guy. And he literally parted the Red Sea. He knocked people out left and right, and every punch connected. But he knocked them out cold. And I've never seen anything like this before. And it boom, and it boom, and it boom, and it boom. And... um he gets to the ring. He goes, grab a chair and run like a rhino. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, that, that's what I did. I got to the locker room and with cigarette burns. And actually, I was cut several times, too, but nothing severe. Anyway, that was, that was televised. And the very next and they only had three television stations in, in um, South Africa. And the very next day, I became this freaking big time sensation hated uh, <laughs> you know i got my my experience of being a hill and oh, man i'll tell you what i liked it. i liked it a lot whole different dynamic of being a hill versus being a baby face there's a lot of work that's got to be put into being a baby face and you know you got to come off as being sincere and not to you know being uh, I don't fake or anything like that. Um, or they'll, they'll, they'll spot you. But being a heel, uh, especially in that world, uh, it was it was easy as cake for me. Again, I, like I said, I was so green to the whole Muslim hate thing. So, I, you know, I, I took uh, definitely advantage of all that. But that, that match turned into um, a tag team match where Gamma... Um, Singh came in as well, and then me and this English wrestler named uh, Scrubber Daly had South Africa's first ever cage uh, 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 match. All throughout the week, we we had death threats. Serious. They weren't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they they were, you know, we. Sandy got warned. Um, got several phone calls that there was going to be a bomb at the entrance with, as the wrestlers went in. And uh, so he, you know, did whatever precautions that he had to do to to make sure that part was safe. And then, you know, there was no way of getting me to the arena because they were waiting for me. And at that time, uh, uh, Discover Daily didn't have all the heat, you know, that I did. And so um, I was in the trunk of the car. And all I could think of, you know... Oh man, they're gonna set the car on fire, and I'm gonna be in this trunk, and I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to get out, and you know, it's all these kind of crazy thoughts. Get, and I'm thinking, what the hell am I in a trunk for? Because I'm gonna have to get out of the trunk, 
Did you get into Norway? So, you know, this is just kind of dawned on me. This is a stupid move. But needless to say, we, we actually, I actually got into the arena, and uh, man, my nerves were shot. And we got into the locker room, and boy, they were just waiting for this match. When I got on top of the, uh, you know, when they made the announcement, and I went up to the top of the cage, and, and I went to do a Hulk Hogan and rip my shirt off uh, at the very top. As I'm doing this, I'm looking at the fans, and I see this Indian guy reach into a paper sack. And uh, I, my eyes were on him, and I, don't, I can't explain why they were fixated on him. He pulls out appeared to be a Nerf ball. And I thought, I'll just let him hit me with it and add, you know, use it as part of the entertainment. And when he threw that sucker and it hit me right in, dead in the eye, it was a frozen grapefruit. Oh, it, man. Yeah. And it knocked me right off at the top of this cage onto the floor. And, you know, the show must go on. And I'm freaking, you know, going, I'm blind. I'm blind. I can't see. Uh, it, it actually, you know, gave me. Um, I think it's, is it cataracts? There's a film in my in in that eye where I, I'm basically blind. I can't see anything. It's all blurry, and um, I never had the chance of getting it fixed either. Oh wow! But going back to Rick Patterson and the story of South Africa, I had the most incredible experience in South Africa, and I had the opportunity to pay that back to Rick by getting him booked on um, uh, New Zealand. When New Zealand, were, uh, when they went to run their shows, you know, another one of those deals being at the right place at the right time, I was able to work my way um, as a, you know, uh, a main event uh, 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 character. Again, I, you know, I start, start creating the heat. And, and now it's from the Nasty Boys. What's the one with, is it Nobs that got the dark hair? Uh, it's, uh, it's Jerry Sags. Okay, Sags. Sags just didn't like me. He, uh, the feeling that I got from him, it, he looked at me as like a prima donna, you know, flash in the pan. So you're basically whatever. looking at you like fresh meat uh, to them because of what oh, you represented. Yeah, and, you know, this was my very first time I got the experience being ribbed. So it started with, you know, me missing a wrestling boot um, and then panicking right before my event and finding it in the shower with the water running in it, you know, to nothing crazy. Uh, like I heard, you know, would happen with Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels and Dave Peterson. But, um, it's, uh, you know, I, it was like the first time I ever experienced that, uh, you know, like someone like not liking me at all, <laughs> you know, where it, it, it's like, wow, dude, I, you haven't even talked to me. But anyway, that's, that's the way it was. I, mean, I didn't have the same problem with the blonde. Um, uh, uh, which Bri one what, is that? The, uh, the blonde is Brian Knobs. Okay, Brian Okay. Anyway, I want to go now, you know, I've kept you so long, but I want to keep going to another chapter of your life. Can you tell us how you sure. got involved now? Because we we're going to turn right into the Universal Wrestling Federation. And uh, it was, of course, uh, run by uh, one Mr. Herb Abrams. And, of course, uh, mm. it, it's going to be nice because I've listened to some of the stuff you've, you've done in the past where, you know, people have talked a lot about Herb Abrams. Herb Abrams has yeah. become a very mythalized, controversial figure in the world of professional wrestling for the way he went yeah. out and the way he passed away and some people <laughs> yeah. saw saw a lot of things that you know and then they drew their own conclusions further on other stuff right. but I, I think this is a really good forum to set kind of set the record straight really on your mm -hmm. on how you dealt with how you saw herb abrams because a lot has been written speculated and stretched in regards to herb's story and the story right. of the uwf so let's take us in <clears throat> to not only the universal wrestling federation but how you got hooked up and how you got to know herb abrams okay good I got the awesome opportunity to run into uh, Brian Blair while we were doing this state fair tour with a, a promoter out of Denver. That's where I met uh, Two Cold Stor Scorpio too, and I, um, I believe Van Vader had something to do with this little, you know, side promotion thing. 
anyway, um, Brian took a liking to me and, you know, um, you can always tell by the stories that one shares with you and the level of intimacy, you know, you know, how much they share with you. And there's also, you know, a level of, um, uh, respect that you give out. So in other words, what they share with you, you don't share with anyone else. And, you know, that's how you, you know, keep your, your credibility with your, your friends. So me and, uh, Brian were both entrepreneurs. I was, you know, dabbling into my company called PowerShack at that time. And um, he said, you know what, I want to, I want to bring you, I want to do something that I said I wouldn't do. And I want to introduce you to someone in Beverly Hills that's getting ready to break loose on this uh, new uh, federation. He, he wouldn't share with what the federation's name or anything like that. And so we took that long drive. We were in Vegas at that time. We took that long drive to, wasn't that long, but, you know, to Beverly Hills. And there was an immediate connection with me and Herb. Um, Herb is, is a fiery um, light. Whether you like him or not, he's energy. He really is. You can say anything you want about his uh, bias, but you show me one person in this world that you know, doesn't have some type of weird crutch or whatever, and it would just you know, spare me uh, when it comes to that. Until you actually get to deal with, you know, I got to deal from the herb side of it, but I also got to experience what it's like to, to um, have a loved one that suffered from, you know, uh, addiction issues and stuff like that. And it's it's not... It's not a joking manner, and it's not something that poke at someone and try to bring them down even farther. It's, it's very unfortunate when that happens to someone. It's almost like a possession, if you want to say that. But not, you know, take it from a country bumpkin, most innocent. You know, I haven't seen much of the world at this time yet, and so my perspective of her came from that type of reality. You know, this is you know. This was my environment. So her couldn't have been that detrimental because I basically became Herb's caretaker, if you will. One of the things that um, happened um, with Herb, I can't remember which, I believe that we were in uh, Florida. We had a pay-per-view and I'm like going, uh, shouldn't we be getting something racing? Shouldn't something be going on here? And then just, there, you know, nothing was happening with the itinerary. And so, you know, in, instead of, you know, yelling, screaming, hollering, or, you know, causing a bunch of drama, try to, you know, what's up? What's going on? Herb, let me in. What are you doing? And uh, <laughs> Herb uh, had one of his, you know, three night wingdings with a couple of lovely ladies and, you know, was a mess. <laughs> and, um, I said, her, I don't give a shit about anything that you did right now. We got a job to do. And what you need to do is you need to sober your ass up and you need to perform. And from that moment, you know, I got his ass in the shower. You know, I, I made sure, you know, I was watching his, his eye rhythm, uh, his mannerism when he spoke. And I made sure that he didn't make himself look like an idiot. And, and nor, because what we were getting ready to do was important to all of us, just to Herb, you know, and we wanted to be, uh, to be successful. So, Well, absolutely, um, considering that you had, you know, the way the UWF was developed, I mean, Herb ended up, yeah. uh, you know, put, putting together a real amazing stable of, of stars from the past, as well as some of the up-and-comers. So, I mean, this guy was really, really focused on, on, on getting a product out there to, to uh, be an alternative to what some of the other companies were at the time, and yeah, it's just so much work uh, had to go into it uh, as, as well. Herb was that catalyst. There were two very big catalysts in my life as far as my business side is concerned. And Herb was that catalyst as, that put me over the top as an entrepreneur because I became fearless. Everything that I saw as a good idea, I didn't talk about it, I did it. 
because that's what I saw at her game. Now, I'll tell you, her did everything from the hip. There was no real proper metrics, uh, you, you know, business matrix or anything. There was no plan, no business plan, nothing. It was all from the hip. Literally to the point where we are at the MGM Grand. The show is being hijacked by several of the, the, the uh, several of the talent that came in. They said that they wouldn't wrestle unless they got paid up front. It was to the tune of about twenty thousand dollars that he needed to have, and he didn't have it. See, what do I do? And you know, and I said, Herb, you you contact the casino because they have just as much writing on this as you do. And you that you need a, a, a an extension or a, you know, I kind of what was the heck that I call it at that time, a, a draw, basically. You need to, to, you need to have a draw because this is your situation. And if you don't get these guys paid, um, then there won't be an event. You won't uh, be able to, to utilize the talent. So we went to $50,000. And that would give us a, you know, a buffer. Well, when Herb got on the phone, as he started noticing that this was actually working, he shot it up to $100,000. And I'm not kidding you. It was no less than a half hour. $100,000 was delivered to our room, cash. And I'm like going, whoa, (laughs) this is not happening. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I said, isn't that illegal or something? <laughs> I was trying to figure it all out. And, um, but, uh, yeah, that is that is um, the kind of, uh, that's how he operated it. And, you know, it was, uh, whether it was uh, uh, not uh, like a, a franchise cookie cutter um, process uh, of, methodology doing business the right way uh it was a way that worked for her and i agree he could have done it better but look what he did off of being you know having this type of vice basically controlling most of his his, his life where um it, it basically all on the fly you know there was a matter of seconds that he was you know he was sober to the point where you know he made things happen and then you know i I, where do you get this kind of talent me being german and and him being jewish it was you know i really enjoyed my time with him and there was not there was not one time that he ever pissed me off or you know disappointed me so much that you know, he just irked my skin, and I met plenty of those kind of people. Um, I I am aware that Herb had stiffed some guys uh, with their payments and stuff like that, and that's definitely not right. I'm not um, uh, sticking out for that. That's that's wrong, and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> I, that's definitely nothing that I'm gonna stick up for. But when it came to his uh, credibility. His uh, imagination, his um, his love for the business, and you know he was happy. Um, it, you know the business really was. He was a big of 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 wrestling, and Herb, you know, liked to be that little guy that was you know the big guy on top of the world, and he was you know it was an interesting. Um, it was a it was a fascinating thing to actually to follow and to be around all those other, you know, uh, wrestlers, uh, you know, who were, I, I call them WrestleMania three's greatest. Uh, Cause that's in my mind, th- there was nothing better. Any, any of the guys during that time, that was the, uh, the foundation of wrestling in, in, in my mind. That's okay. just what it was. And I want to talk about something with you and Herb that uh, a lot of people thought you know, now we've gone back. Uh, we're going to go back in the time machine. This was an incident that it still gets mentioned to this day that involved mm-hmm. you 
involved Herb Abrams, and one Dr. Death, Steve Williams. So let's get in the old time machine and okay. keep in the time machine. Take us back okay. to May of 1991 to a television taping at the Hotel Pennsylvania, and now an yeah. incident that has now been on YouTube for many years now about the time oh, yeah. you and Dr. Death worked in the ring and uh, mm-hmm. something that went awry. Now let's get the whole thing straight from the horse's source right here. There you go. It was um, a match that I did not want to be involved with because I never saw, uh, or you very seldom see two faces put on a match. It's word of damn. It's kind of, you know, it just didn't look right. Um, so it's, a, it's an awkward dance if you, if you want to leave it at that. But I saw a great opportunity for me to um, illustrate a, a wrestling style or methodology, or however you want to look at it, in my mind, I view it, okay, and I'm not, I'm not pushing this on, I'm not trying to change the wrestling world, but I view it as not only something that is more entertaining and more organic and more, I hate to say the word real, because, you know, you out there is real. It had a, a sense of awkwardness to it you know through my you know long road trips i you know i go over and go over and go over how can you make the product better how can you make the product better and so i learned so many things from you know all these old timers about the psychology and the audience and everything and so all of that kind of flowed into this one moment where i could illustrate it with the right wrestler at the right time dr death and i had a three-hour road trip you know, going upstate New York and a three-hour trip back. And that whole time I said, you know, I have something I want to, uh, I want you to tell me what you, you know, what you think. You know, I've always wanted to, I, I actually do this um, with certain uh, wrestlers, but it, it never gets played out because it's typically with a jobber and it just kind of looks like a squash job anyway. I said, um, you know, this is how I, I want to connect with you when we connect out there. I want to kind of, you know, instead of being that light, loose as it is, I want to be somewhat firm, but not stiff. And there's a big difference, you know. It, it's a, um, it, it's like the gel in between two connections, you know, the conduit. There's, there is still a seal there. So, you know, um, when I uh, throw a punch, I'm going to lay it in. I'm not going to hurt you but you're going to feel it. I'm not going to hit you in an area that could, you know, uh, you know, ruin your career or anything like that. Dr. Death was the perfect guy to do this with because he took it even a step further, you know, you know, and I went to kick him in the gut. Um, <laughs> just a couple of them got, got him uh, pretty good. So, you know, he, he, uh, returned the favor. And so our, you know, our um, dance during that time was exactly that. It was to football players in a squared circle, you know, um, uh, creating a masterpiece for the rest of the world, the rest of the wrestling world to pay close attention to. And I'm, you know, this part, I hope every wrestler hears this because I believe that the in itself um, has been compromised. Uh, <clears throat> I believe that there's been a sellout. There's, you know, with this whole, you know, doing away with kayfabe, that should have never been, that should have never happened unless it was agreed upon by, you know, the, the, the highest of holies at, at the time with the business. Never mind that. What I'm seeing with all these indie promotions and, them, you know, them doing this, freaking Star Wars crap and all that. This is a product of a fast book. And this is where we, you know, we have uh, brought And it, it, it's all in line with the same kind of bullshit where um, uh, the the governor of the, your state um, that was. Ventura. Uh, Jesse, yeah. Uh, Jesse tried to unionize us to, you know, to give us 
you know, uh, um, health insurance and give us, you know, some type of retirement plan or whatever. And, you know, uh, everybody was out for themselves. Nobody ever wanted to do it as, you know, this is what's good for the boys. And so um, there's, uh, you know, that is the sad part about the business. So where I'm coming back to this style and why it was so important to me, because there was so much of an illustration when someone would throw a punch. It was ridiculous sometimes. And, you know, and now, you know, look at some of the, um, and I'm not talking bad about uh, a brushstroke of any um, uh, uh, federations that are out there. I, I love to see the rice bowl get bigger, but get bigger with quality rice, not, you know, not uh, larvae rice uh, or plastic. Give it some substance there. And that's, that was all that I w- wanted to illustrate in this match was that there was a connection. Not it, it was so good that when I got back to the locker room, everybody was silent. And no one said a freaking word to me. Now, this is the kicker, okay? This, this just came totally ad lib, unexpected. Because that match was so good, of course, Mr. Energy, he comes running in and, Steve, take a swing at me. <laughs> and, oh, dear. And, you know, and, and I did. And, uh, you know, of course, then he runs out and he tells everybody that he paid uh, Dr. Death a, a hundred bucks to, to break my, there was a scrape on my nose and I was bleeding a little bit. So that's kind of where that, you know, uh, started. And, and then it went from, um, because I slept with his wife. And then, you know, it went to, because I stole his cocaine. And then, you know, just kind of, it just freaking went crazy from there. It just went on top of, on top. It's like cups on top of cups on top of cups. Yeah. And this is before the internet. Okay. So, um, uh, or at least before the internet was the internet. Um, So uh, when this, when this basically happened, within weeks, I shot up to the sixth most popular wrestler. Um, uh, at least with uh, this magazine and, and the world at that time. Um, and uh, that was, to me, that was my big moment for the business, you know, to, to be right there next to, you know, someone of the likelihood of Sting and, and Hulk Hogan and uh, Macho Man and um, I believe uh, Texas Tornado was in that too. You know, and it, it all stemmed from what was told in that match. And where I was so pissed at Herb in the beginning, this is where he's a genius, okay? You know, he, he said, I told everyone, you know, uh, that uh, I paid Dr. Death 100 bucks because, you, you know, you slept with my wife. What? And, and this is the kicker, okay? About two months ago, before this match, there was a hard copy show um, that they wanted to fly me in and do an interview uh, talking um, about the um, whole FBI investigation with Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan, blah, 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 blah. Herb picked me up at the airport. You know, Herb's his usual man, (laughs) but, you know, with big britches and just, you know, okay, um, uh, I'm going to drop you off at the house and then I'll be back in 15 minutes. It was three days later until he came back. So I had three days of just me and his wife and I knew better. I knew not to do anything. And, and I pretty much, you know, sued her over with her anger towards Herb as he wasn't home. And, you know, to try to think of something, you know, creative of why, you know, and, and, and I was doing the best I possibly could. This is what did happen. It kind of got in, we got in a conversation and then she dropped this question. Do you have a big, and I said, I think her name was Murray. Hey, Murray, you don't ask me that kind of shit. I can't tell you that. I said, and if I told you, then we'd be in real trouble. <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of played it off like a, as a joke. Because I did that, um, 
you know, I, I handle it that way. Um, when, when he got back, she used that as like a, a you know, as a weapon uh, to hurt her and, and tried to lead him to believe that there was, you know, some hanky panky going on or whatever. And I don't operate like that. And I would never do that. Um, but he, uh, you know, I said, Herb, I look, look in my eyes when I tell you this. This is exactly what happened. The reason why I didn't tell you about it is because think about how awkward that is. I just wanted it to go away. Um, you know, when she asked me, I just kind of played it off as a joke. And, and I said, I'm not suggesting at all that she was trying to get down my pants or anything like that. It was just, you know, I think she was bored. And it was just a conversation piece. But, and I said, but for sure, she definitely wanted to use that as a tool to get you, to, to hurt you, and, and also put a wedge between you and I um, as well. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm thoroughly confident that there was no animosity or um, anger or anything like that. So that's what kind of made that story somewhat awkward because there was a little bit of, you know, truth to it. And I just don't feel comfortable not sharing with people, um, you know, the, the truth. But how can you tell it in a moment like what I'm doing here? Mm -hmm. And so I never got that opportunity um, to actually share, you know, this side of the story uh, until recently. You know, I, I uh, just uh, uh, figured that it was time. You know, all the, the, the trash talking that I saw on her and um, it, it's not, I don't know if her, he loves his mother dearly. And I know that he loves his rabbi. I'll never forget the time that he felt so bad that he missed a, 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 an outing with his rabbi and he just felt so ashamed of himself. So he, he was a loving man. He, and he, there, you know, I saw him truly care for, for um, certain people. Mm -hmm. um, but he, uh, you know, it, yeah, he deserves an ass chewing or, you know, a shaming whatever for not paying the boys. Absolutely. Um, you know, paying some of the boys, but, mm -hmm. um, no one deserves to have their legacy unless there's some type of, you know, someone who's done absolute harm to someone else. And, um, I, I, the only harm I ever saw him do was not somebody as it. And so to wrap your mind around this and, and get a conclusion, I'm not, the only thing that I'm getting out of this is the clear conscience of knowing that when it came to what I believe was true representation of a man in his legacy, I spoke it with true um, intent of, of, you know, not trying to, to harm or destroy him. Just like these people are doing, you know, who are, you know, mocking him and making fun of him. It's just not, you know, um, I get it. You know, I, I, I get the little, you know, uh, boring chant and the, the little crowd bulliness thing that goes on sometimes with the crowd. I understand that. But, you know, um, there's, there's, in my mind, just this is how I feel as a person. There's just a time when you got to stop that shit. And um, especially when it comes to someone's, you know, in respect for someone's death and their, you know, what's left of them is, is just a memory. And so, I, you know, I just felt like it was, it, it was important for me to share this side. Um, and I, and I can't, um, stress this enough. Remember the kind of person that I was, I grew up in a very small town, wasn't some party animal or anything like that. Um, and, and I'm pretty much innocent to the world because I never, you know, you don't see much in Lansing, Kansas. So 
from that perspective, what I dealt with, you know, was basically no different than what a drill sergeant, you know, would uh, deal with a with a couple of ups, you know, um, I, something similar to that. I guess is the best way to put it. But you know, I it, it, I let him do his little thing. But when it came to business, I'm telling you, the man um, can fuck up anything. Uh, well, let me say this correctly. I never saw him be intoxicated where he screwed things up, where he didn't remember something or he, you know, uh, embarrass the, uh, the network, the, you know, the UWF, the, the, the talent that he was surrounded by. I didn't see that. Um, he, he was, you know, Mr. Electric, uh, kind of edgy type of guy, but I, I never saw him do anything to make us look like a bunch of freaking druggies, you know, partying and it just stoned out of our mind, which kind of makes it, it's kind of what, how you read some of these articles. And that's the appearance that it, it gives. And it's far from, that was far from the reality of what we were. Well, Stevie, uh, it looks like uh, the time is getting short on our on our, our get together today, and this is what the best thing is, man. Two, I mean, this full interview we're going to break it up into two parts, but it's hard to believe that over two hours have passed by and we still have so much more to cover. Which is why, oh, Steve, yeah. I would love to have you on again here in the not too distant future to kind of pick up where we left off here today to get into more of uh, your life, uh, not only. It, a little bit more of the UWF, a little bit more outside of the UWF and some of the things you did post-wrestling. But I want to thank you for taking the time to do this two-part interview with me. And I, I'd love to have you on for a third time. And boy, it was been, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience meeting you here on the phone and, and, and hearing you tell your story about your life, not only just in pro wrestling, my friend. Yes. And you know what? You conducted this interview. Uh, it was so awesome and actually have someone who uh, knew, uh, you know, a lot about, you know, my past. It was, that's, uh, that's actually refreshing. So I really appreciate that as well. So the rematch is on. Absolutely. I, I had a, a great time. As a matter of fact, I, I take this as therapy, <laughs> it, it, you know, it helps me. You know, what's funny. My wife is a psychologist. Yeah. Are you serious? Wow. I am totally serious. Uh, wow. She, she, you know, I, we could go into a whole new uh, section of that. So I, I realize that time is at the most important, but yes, there that is a, a an interesting story to talk about, along with all the suicides that happened in the business. And I can kind of share, to you know, what my theory is and 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 to why I believe that that's something that happened. Oh, absolutely, in the business. But, absolutely. Yeah. And for 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 next Will time, you of course. Me? What's will, you, will you promise me that you will try your best to see if you can get uh, Rick Patterson, the Cowboy Rick, to, and, and and I hooked up to, if you can in any way? I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do about it, man. I, I got a few connections, but I'll try to give them w- with what I got, man. Okay, I appreciate it. For uh, Steve Wild Thing Ray, I'm Glenn Braggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.